Unfortunately, I'm not preaching on that gospel. <laughs> it's, uh, it's open with the word of prayer. Father God, we just thank you for, uh, for, this, uh, for this day, for this time, and for Psalm 139, Lord. And uh, Father, I pray that uh, you would open our hearts and minds to this psalm to what it has to teach us, Lord God. Lord, I pray that um, that you would close our ears to any error that it may speak, that I may speak, Father. Lord, David has a lot to teach us. Um, the apostles have a lot to teach us through this psalm. Lord, you have um, you have impacted so many people through this particular psalm in so many different ways. It is such a powerful word. Lord, I pray that you would help it to just impress, to penetrate us. That we would meditate upon it this week, this month, this year, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I was, <clears throat> I was actually writing on this psalm this week. I was thinking about it, and uh, I actually, <laughs> there's several articles just kind of popped up during the time I was reading this psalm, and I had actually written the sermon on Friday, and then a couple more articles popped up. It, it's, it's an interesting psalm because it starts out in one way, and then it ends up in a very heavy way, and so it talks about persecution, but it's also got some really light parts to it, so it's got light and dark and super dark and super light. And so a lot of folks have bits and pieces of this psalm, and they think of it as one way, and they think of it in another way, and we have all kinds of applications of this psalm. We just don't look at it at the whole, and there's really no way I'm going to do justice to it in one sitting, but um, I did want to think of it in a couple, re- uh, in a couple ways, and, and part of it is just because of the persecution I was thinking that we are living under, increasingly living under today, and I don't I don't know if we've really thought about that. We're in the South, and so we're still a little bit sheltered from what is coming. But I was just reading about a particular brother, and I I, uh, moved the article. I was going to pull it up for today for us. Uh, But I was just reading it last night, and I think he's in Malta. But a Christian brother who's in Malta who uh, was coming out of the homosexual lifestyle. He came to Christ. He was homosexual. He came to Christ and left the lifestyle. And he said to, uh, he, was, he was actually giving his testimony on television, uh, and he was being interviewed by another group. And he said, look, once I came to Jesus, I realized that this was a lifestyle choice, and it wasn't who I was, and so this is what I came out of. And this is, by the way, why you have the LGBTQA3. If you haven't looked at the transgender movement, that's why you have all these different 108 genders, is because over time, we've kind of figured out that this is kind of a thing you flow in and out of. It's not a thing that you're born with, and that's, that's, that's kind of old school. Um, uh, you might have heard it if you grew up in one group, but anyway, so whatever. So he's kind of, he, 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 he realized that's not what I am. Well, because he said those words, he is now faced with five months imprisonment. Five months imprisonment in Europe because you're not allowed to say those words on his tiny little island. And he said, look, the Apostle Paul 
was shipwrecked on my island, and a snake buried his fangs <clears throat> in there. And this is one of the islands that's mentioned in Scripture, and people came to Christ here. And here I am. It's one of the earliest places where Christians were, and here I am sharing my faith, and simply because I'm telling the truth of what happened to me, not telling other people that they have to do this, I could be imprisoned for five months. Similar things are happening to pastors even in up north in Canada who are simply standing against certain things. They're being put in prison for words that they are saying, actually saying words, not because they are doing actions. So we live in a society that is struggling mightily with what it means to be human, even in the United States. But across Europe and Canada, South Africa and Australia, what does it mean to be human? I want you to think a little bit more broadly, all the way from when does life begin to what does each life, to what value does each life have? So when does life begin? Think about that. That's been a hot debate since really, uh, really the 20s. When does life begin? And then what value does each life have? Now, We've got an argument over what does it mean to be a man and a woman. In our society, we're being conditioned now to see religion as a choice or a set of private beliefs, while progressive ideology or the progressive worldview is simply the correct way of seeing things. So I, I want to define an ideology because we get kind of confused with that. An ideology is a system of ideas and ideals, especially one which forms the basis of an economic or a political theory and a policy. That's what an ideology is. A system of ideas and ideals, especially one which forms the basis of an economic or political theory and a policy. And so for that reason, we kind of see it as like maybe a political view or just kind of a political worldview. But I would argue that that can oftentimes be a religion. And a worldview is a synonym. It's the way you see the world, not with your eyes, but the system that you or your group use to bring order and understanding to the world around you. So Christianity is a worldview, and it's also a religion. Progressivism is a worldview, and I would also say it's become a religion. It's a way of seeing things, ordering the world, and has become kind of fervent, and it's a religion that we are facing, and we need to increasingly see it as that, and that's why so many people are so really radical about um, pushing this upon us. So through our phones and computers, the media and television, we as adults and our children are constantly being fed this worldview, this message, this ideology. And it has a radically under, different understanding of what it means to be human. So the Christian concept of what it means to be human, the biblical concept of what it means to be human, and the current world's view of what it means to be human, whether you're in Canada or Europe or, or the West, what it means to be human is radically different. That's kind of what our psalm begins to tell us. So right now, we can choose our gender, anywhere between 32 and 108 different genders, depending upon which source you're referring to. So in New York City, they have 32 different genders. The, the state or the city recognizes. There's 108 on different other ones, right? The 
the Department of Education um, under the Obama administration put out that there were 16 different genders, 16, not male and female, 16 different genders, and they were telling us that we need to push those. Now they're being pushed again. It tells us that, or we're told, that life is given value by society, not by a God, or simply by the fact that a human being exists. So if a mother, for instance, decides that an unborn baby is a child, well, then it's a child. But if a mother decides that an unborn baby is not a child, well, then it's not a child. And so in our culture, then, what dictates life? The mere thought of a person. The decision of a person. If I decide it's a life, it's a life. And if I decide it's not a life, well then, it's not a life. So we have made ourselves God. Have we not? We don't think like that, but, or we don't want to think like that, but that's really how we think. But we're also struggling with the value of the elderly, the mentally disabled, the psychologically struggling. At what point should suicide be allowed? What point should we help it along? Should it be encouraged? That's what's happening in Washington State and in Oregon. It's definitely happening in Europe. When should doctors just step in and take a life? Additionally, we've seen that different values are placed on people with various skin colors and people coming from different national and ethnic backgrounds. And these are all questions being asked by our current cultures. And progressivism claims to have all the answers, even if this worldview is ever changing. In fact, I think it's one of the attractions of this particular worldview, right? Because it says it's always on the avant-garde. It's always on the edge. It's always progressing. We're always thinking. We're always on the forefront. And if you're the elite, if you're the best of the best... If you're a thinker, then you're going to be here. We're not stuck in the past. Stuck in the past is bad. We're not regressing backwards. We're not following ancient ways, which, of course, is why many, one of the many reasons why it's diametrically opposed to religion and particularly Christianity. We follow a God outside of time and space who describes himself as the ancient of days. We believe in an absolute and an unchanging truth, and we're not making it up as we go along. And for that reason, um, Christianity is not loved. Faith is not loved. We find ourselves in direct opposition to the things of the faith. And we're going to see from our psalm this morning, God has a radically different understanding of humanity than the progressive religion teaches. So Psalm 139 is one of the more famous psalms for many reasons, but most of them center around the personal nature of this psalm. King David, when he writes this psalm, he bursts out in praise over who God is and how God sees us, right? And so when you first read this psalm, you can't help but be awed by it. He's fundamentally speaking about how deeply and personally the Lord knows you, right? When you read it, you're like, wow, the God knows me this deeply. It's one of the reasons the psalm is so relatable. It's good to memorize it. Look, if you're depressed, if you're down, if you think that God doesn't know you, you need to turn to Psalm 139. You need to memorize it. You need to memorize it with your kids. You need to teach them about it. 
God knows you, and he knows you deeply. He knows us as a group, meaning as a church. He says this, Psalm 139.1, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down, and you are acquainted with all my ways. That means he knows everything about you. He knows when you got up this morning, and he knows when you go to bed tonight. He knows what you thought about your mom and your dad, right? He knows your favorite colors. He knows why you're down. He knows why you're up. He knows what makes you happy and what makes you sad. He's got good plans for you. He's also got challenging plans for you. He knows it all. And so many of us are convinced we're afraid to give it over to God because we're afraid He doesn't truly know us. And yet here, when we memorize it and think about it and meditate on it, He knows you. How does He know us? Well, in the New Testament, this is more deeply explained, right? Because the New Testament believers, something has changed, and it changes at Pentecost because now the New Testament believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit, said the Apostle Paul explains it this way, Romans 8, 26 to 28, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. He who searches hearts knows what the mind is. What is the mind of the Spirit? Because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. So the Holy Spirit then searches us, indwells us, and interacts with the Lord, right? So the Holy Spirit, we are the living temple of the Holy Spirit. That's why God interacts, the Holy Spirit, through us. We serve a living God. And the Holy Spirit then interacts with the Lord, and that's why we can communicate with the Lord. We communicate through prayer. I went to a seminary one time, and we had a certain group called the cessationists, and they would say, no, look, we just kind of discern. It's almost like throwing bones down, and we would read the Scriptures, and then we would like discern the signs of the times, and somehow, some way, we would get the Lord through all these chants and time things. But that's not really what it is. The Lord is actually, it describes an interaction with the living God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit interacts with us, and we can, we, we get this interaction. It's pretty amazing. We have value to God. We are valuable. We are made in His image, and He indwells us. We are temples of the Holy Spirit. It's pretty cool that your every thought is known by God. It's pretty cool that He interacts with you. It's pretty cool that He indwells you. He knows everything about you. He knows you better then you know yourself. You have value to him. He died for you. In fact, David will describe the same thing 
that the Apostle Paul says in Psalm 139, 13 to 15. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. How radically different that is from modern ideology. You're a clump of cells. Your value only has value. You only have value if your mother decides it on a whim. No. What does it describe here? You are made by God. We think we're made by people. Galatians 1.15 But when he who had set me apart after I was born and my mother had decided that I had value, then said, because she decided I had value, then said, now, because your mother said... Oh, wait, that's not what it says, does it? He says what? But when he had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, you have value, you have significance. You were called and set apart by the Lord Jesus. Paul rejoices at this. I was set apart by his grace. The Lord says to the prophet Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, this is what the father said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Brothers and sisters, You were called before the foundations of the world. If that's not the love of God, I don't know what is. You have value and significance. God loves you. It's a radically different concept from the modern religion, this latest religion. This latest secular religion. You see, here the Father knows us before we're born. You have purpose before you're even set foot on this planet. No matter if you think you do or you do not. And this is a great thing to meditate on when you're depressed, when you're down, when you're struggling with your own value. Modern progressive religion says you don't have value before you're born or if society says you don't have value. God completely rejects this. You and I are made in his image. We are God's creation. Your children, they aren't yours. Did you know that? It's a shocking statement. Their lives are not yours to grant nor yours to take. They are a gift of God given to you to raise in his ways and as best as you can. We are not God. Now, that doesn't mean there's not forgiveness in the Lord for those who have had abortions. There certainly is. God can forgive anything. 
but it begins with the understanding of what actually happened. But these passages also tell us that we aren't mistakes. God has a plan and a calling for us. We are set apart by God for a purpose. And we as believers need to be about asking God what that purpose is. Have you asked God what his purpose is for your life? What is his purpose for your children's lives, for your spouse's life? And then, how are you going to go about doing that? How are you going to help your children live that? You as children, you as teenagers, what is your purpose? Do you know when I received my call to ministry, how old was I? How old are you, Shelly? Hmm? So I was 12 when I got my call to ministry. In the missions field, in Mexico, on a missions trip, sitting on a curb. How old was Mary when she was pregnant with Jesus? How old do we think? Maybe 13 or 14. You can get a call as early as a teenager. How old was Jeremiah when he was called? In his mother's womb. That means before you were born. That's pretty early. God sets us apart early. That means the Lord is forming you from an early stage. So your sex, your skin color, whether you were born a boy or a girl, your skin color, your nationality, your household, your birth order, your location, wherever, None of these things are a mistake. And this is different from our current culture, which teaches a lot of these things are a mistake. Our current culture teaches this, that sin and guilt and shame results in people by their race, by their skin color. There's no way to really wash away for it or to atone for it other than eliminating or punishing particular people or races or skin colors for things that no one alive today did. These things are not given to us by an outside God, but rather by politicians or professors or actors or pretty much some well-off group that will never suffer the consequences of their actions, but will benefit massively from them. The rules will forever shift because they're made up on the fly, and they're always changing, and they always will be changing because they're about power. Now, this new religion is dark, and it does want us to bend the knee to it. You cannot escape it, and they are coming for everyone at some point because they are intensely evangelistic. If you've been following the NHL, Ivan Provorov, a Russian player, recently refused to wear a jersey celebrating the LGBTQA3+, plus, blah, 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 and it keeps on going, in pregame warm-ups this week, or last week. He didn't speak out against the movement. He simply didn't wear the jersey, and he said this, I respect everybody. I respect everybody's choices. My choice is to stay true to myself and my religion. He had to say myself and my religion. Now, there are a lot of Christians in the NHL. There are a lot of people who aren't for this. But he was the only one who didn't wear the jersey. One other player on the Washington Capitals didn't come out and skate 
But for this, many folks wanted him suspended. Many want him kicked out of the league. Many want the Philadelphia Flyers fined. And many commentators said he should be sent back to Russia and forced to fight on the front lines and killed. Remember before, if you were standing up for certain ideologies, they were just saying you should have the right to do it, and now if you don't stand up for those ideologies, you should be fined, lose your job, and maybe even killed. The refrain was very familiar on how the Christian faith cannot be used as a shield to hide behind. It's now described as bigotry to disagree with the progressive worldview, and for this reason, we will all have to make a choice. Which side are you on, gods or the world's? And you see, this is just the latest version of darkness. The railing against the faith has many fronts. You're being painted as racist, fascist, sexist, homophobes, transphobes, whatever phobes. But folks, it's not about being an ist or a phobe. When I was at Virginia Tech, I got attacked all the time by my professors. Now, here's the thing. Once I learned how to stand up and not be a coward, I backed many of them down. But the whole point is they are trying to make you a coward. You do have to learn how to stand up, but at some point you are going to have to learn how to stand up for the faith. You see, everyone fancies themselves as the person in Nazi Germany who would have stood up against Hitler. Everyone thinks they would have stood up against this brutal dictator or that brutal dictator. We all fancy ourselves as the hero and wonder why society followed that guy. We would have done it. How does it happen, we say? Well, exactly like it just happened in the NHL. Only one Christian stood up and said, I can't do this. We're hated, the Bible says, because they hate God. David describes them in our psalm, Psalm 139, 19. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. Men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. And Jesus picks up on what the Old Testament definitely showed. If the world hates you in John 15, 18 to 19, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The seed of the serpent has always hated God, and it will always hate God until the Lord comes again. And so what you're currently seeing, it isn't new. It's happened everywhere. It's happened in the last 20 years and 30 years and 50 years and 100 years and 200 years and 1,000 years and 2,000 years and 3,000 years and 4,000 years and 5,000 years and 6,000 years. It will always happen. It's just in the United States we had a brief respite from it. Christians have been killed all over the world for their faith. We've just been hiding from it, and so we think it's been no big deal. We're just not used to it. And so we're frightened. But you're going to have to learn how to stand up for the faith. Now, hopefully this goes back under and hides its head. I doubt it. We compromised with the world, and now our time of ascendancy is coming to an end. And our psalm shows us that God is in control, though. He loves us. 
He's all-powerful, and he's not surprised by any of it. He values you deeply. He loves you deeply. So as we move into this next phase, the choice that we all will have to face is who we will serve, Jesus or the serpent in his latest form. Will you stand firm, or are you going to bend the knee? And for those who stand, this psalm offers so much. It reminds us who we are. It reminds us how well God knows you. And it reminds us that we are eternal creatures, right? There is nothing to fear because we are with an eternal God who knows us in our waking, in our sleeping, and who has called us before we were born and will be with us long after, long after we leave this earth. Amen.